Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. What is up, everybody? Welcome into this Saturday episode of Flippin' Bats. Saturday with Smoltz, the Hall of Famer John Smoltz is set to join me as he always does every single Saturday, which is always a blast. And I am really excited about today's conversation. This one is a lot of fun. Of course, last week, Smoltz was a part of that Legends broadcast for the Atlanta Braves with him, Tom Glavin, Chipper Jones, and Jeff Francoeur, and it created some incredible moments. We're going to talk all about that, how he came up with his walk-off home run call where he just said start the buses that conversation is hysterical as well as that game crazy game Spencer Strider against Justin and it did not go the way that I think many people would have expected it to Uh, we also end up having a really really good conversation about starting pitchers and how many pitches they should throw it all comes about from that Stanford pitcher Quinn Matthews that threw 156 pitches in a super regional game John is extremely passionate about this, and it led to a really, really good conversation about how many pitchers, 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 how many pitches pitchers should be throwing, how long they should throw in games, Tommy John in this day and age, why so many pitchers are getting it, how to alleviate that. And we also talk about the Baltimore Orioles, how good they are, why they're so good, and what they need to do at the trade deadline. This one is a really, really fun and good conversation. I'm excited for everyone to listen. So without further ado, let's welcome in now Hall of Fame pitcher for the Atlanta Braves, John Smoltz. It's a blowout. Eighth inning, 10-3. Bases are loaded for Verlander, who waits out of the real he swings and it's a high fly ball, deep center field. It is gone. Home run. And a huge backflip to celebrate. All right, Ben, start the show already. All right, I am pumped to welcome in, as always, John Smoltz. John, how are you doing this week, my friend? Oh, I'm doing great. U.S. Open week. Perfect it week. It's out here at uh, LACC. So, uh, I've seen some video. The rough is apparently like insane. Yeah. There's that 280 yard par three. It's gonna be it's gonna be a wild, wild weekend for sure. Have you played LACC? I have. It's one of my favorite courses. Uh, last year played it, and they were getting the rough ready for the open last year. <laughs> that just tells you what you need to know. And it, it, I don't know if two. I I don't know if anyone can. I don't know. These guys are the greatest. They probably always <laughs> surprise you, but. I think two under to four under is is going to be the winning score. Yeah, uh, John, we got to talk about last week. You were a part of the a legendary broadcast booth with the Braves. It was yourself, Tom Glavin, Chipper Jones, and Jeff Francoeur, and it just looked like so much fun. First off, I mean, how much fun did you have that night? Yeah, I had a lot of fun. You know, I do the Saturday games for Fox as well, and it's a straight. You got to play it by the. You just can't. When you're doing a, a, a national game, you, you're bringing in uh, people from out of town that don't aren't their local broadcast. So there's certain things you just can't do. I like to have a good time. I don't mind laughing. And this was um, very unique. Uh, we had a lot of history together. And we had a lot of history against the Mets. And it was an epic game that we thought 
was going to be a low-scoring game that did not turn into a low-scoring game. So it actually gave us more time to talk about things. We didn't think we'd have a lot of time. We realized that play-by-plays are super important because we didn't have a play-by-play announcer. <laughs> and we had to do our own calls, which is not uh, something we're used to. <laughs> what, what would you say are some of your favorite moments from that night? There were a lot. I, my favorite moments is just seeing the guys when it was their turn to call the homer, right? <laughs> like Jeff Rancourt was copycatting announcers on his home yeah. home run call, and I got him a little nervous when I told him he has to do his own. And then Chipper copied a couple, and then all of a sudden, you know, it's a little different when you have to figure something else on the fly. I just laughed at a lot of different um, – my favorite moment was probably the moment that we showed the video of Chipper running over Greg Maddox. That's history. I mean, that's that's one of the funniest things. You never see that happen. It was his first time in the big leagues. I can't even tell you how mad Greg Maddox was just standing in the middle of the field and then all of a sudden getting run over by your own player. Um, luckily, he didn't get hurt, but there was a lot of fun. And and, and at the same time, you know, we, we understand – the time we had together was unique, and this current time is 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 unique too. So, getting a chance to talk about that to the fans, I know they enjoyed it locally. I don't think it it went well in New York, but I think everybody ultimately understands the purpose of it, and uh, it was a lot of fun. What does Chipper? Because you and I have talked about that moment before, where he ran over Greg Maddox. What does Chipper say about that moment? I can't imagine how. You know, well, first of all, Maddox had a lot of choice words for Chipper, so he just kind of went back to third base, mind his P's and Q's. Um, it's one of the funniest things. You know, he was so eager to try and catch that pop-up, he lost all sight of, of Maddox. And, um, you know, that's the eager version. Obviously, Chipper played a long time and an iconic Brave. So it, it was fun to relive some of those memories, uh, laugh at ourselves, and – Along the way, it was just a great ga- baseball game. You know, I mean, it was yeah. it was one of those games you, you just don't get very often. So you guys were pretty much alternating every inning. If, if there was a home run in that inning, it would alternate which one of you was calling it. You got the walk-off homer. Did you plan that call or did it just come to you? No, I didn't want to tell Jeff how nervous I was. So I, <laughs> I kind of didn't speak much in that 10th that inning because I didn't want to think about trying to say something. I just wanted to react. I don't know why those words came to my my uh, my head. Start the buses. The home run, <laughs> the, the home run was hit so fast. I I just all I could think of is well that'll do it. And then what do you say after that? <laughs> I don't even know why I said start the buses. But uh, Frank Coor had a great line afterwards. That's now a T-shirt I think in Atlanta. Poor Larry a crown. Yeah. It's time to eat. Um, and it, it just, again, it, it's one of those things you can't do a lot. It's a good change of pace. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, there'll, there'll probably be one more game that'll be like that. And, um, you know, that being local, you could do more things. Nationally, you could probably never yeah. do. Could, couldn't probably never pull that off. You talked about the game. Um, the game was wild. One of the crazier games of the season. Uh, Justin against Spencer Strider, two of the best pitchers in baseball. Um, neither of them pitching, I think, what we would have expected of them so far in the season. What are you seeing from those two guys, specifically in that game? What did you see from those pitchers that made this such a, I mean, it's 13-10 final, neither pitcher threw well at all. What did you see from those guys? 
Well, the Mets have a great approach against Strider. They did this two games in a row. Strider throws a lot of strikes, and he comes after you with fastballs, but they don't strike out a lot, fouled off a lot of pitches. And just, I thought they had a great game plan. And against Justin, his curveball probably wasn't as sharp, and you're just missing a little tick on that slider because the one thing about these two pitchers that you know if you're hitters, you're in for a battle. You're not going to take any of that for granted. And you know they're going to throw strikes. So if you get a mistake, you got to hit it. And there were a few mistakes played that just kind of snowballed. And the ball seemed to be jumping that night. And look, a lot of anticipation. When you go into those games, you try to think about winning two to nothing, two to one. You never envision that the first inning was going to be four or three or whatever, how many runs the Braves scored. And then here comes the Mets putting a bunch of runs on the board. And you think, oh, shoot, you're not going to get Justin now. The first yeah. inning. We showed our collective ERAs in the first inning. That was way higher than I ever thought, by the way, that I, I, I thought I, I had a better ERA in the first inning <laughs> career-wise. But that's usually what happens to to pitchers. You're going to get them. You get them in the first inning. And and certainly uh, the game didn't uh, live up to the hype. Unfortunately for us as pitchers, we would have loved to have seen that 2-1, to one, probably 24 strikeouts between the two of them. Yeah, for you as – pitcher and me as brother it did not yeah. it did not go exactly the way we wanted it john over in the american league the orioles have been since last year you know after the after they brought up adley rutschman throughout the rest of the season they were one of the better teams in the game of baseball this season one of the better teams in the game of baseball what do you see from the baltimore orioles that makes them such a good baseball team I see a similarity that we had in 1990 in the second half when we started believing we could win. And in 1991, of course, the miracle happens. We chased down the Dodgers and the Reds. By no means were we in the kind of division that the Baltimore Orioles are in, where it's just from top to bottom that good. But they have a belief system. They're young. They're energetic. They play within the rules of the game, meaning the new rules kind of advantageous for them. They hit, they run, and they pitch in the back end about as good as anybody. So, look. The Baltimore Orioles have been kind of the doormat of, of uh, the AL East for a long time, and they no longer feel like that's part of their DNA. And there's a lot to say for that organization having the patience, having the time, probably way, way too long, and now they're relevant again, and that's great. So now they have the opportunity to do some things within their farm system. I'm not a big fan of thinking that the playoffs are going to come around every year. So if you've got a chance to maximize it and you feel like you can make a deep run, then you go out and do some things. So I think they're at that point. Certainly, you mentioned their patience. I think a lot of Orioles fans would say maybe too much patience in the last yeah. half year to a year. Last year at the trade deadline, they were sellers, um, which I think at the time, it's turned out really well because they ended up getting Yanir Cano out of that deal. Um, but I think it surprised a lot of people that they got rid of Jorge Lopez, Trey Mancini, those names. This year, that ain't going to fly anymore. This, I mean, the fan base would riot if they were sellers here. And I don't think they will be. But, I mean, you don't know how aggressive they would will be. But what would you like to see them add at the trade deadline? And that's the point that we've been in, the narrative in baseball that doesn't work. It sounds good on paper. You hear this narrative all the time. Give us seven years and we'll build us a championship. Or here's our window of opportunity. There's no guarantees in that. Yep. And if you're ahead of the schedule, unless you are – you can't finish the season with starting pitching, meaning you're too young. You need to go out and, and make a move that changes the franchise and the fan base to say, hey, we're in this for not one year, but the next three to four years. And I think that's the move you got to make. You got to get somebody under control that you can keep 
that you will transform that into a three-year run versus, all right, we're not right quite ready yet. We're going to wait one more year. That's the goal of every player on every team is to put pressure on their general manager and their management come all-star break to be forced to think about making trades that will impact their team for that, you know, that year to finish it out. I'll give you another example in the, in the national league, the Cincinnati Reds may not be ready for that. So they may be one of the the versions that the Baltimore Orioles were last year where there is a couple more pieces they could build, but their, their, their future is pretty bright. And they've got a chance to do some things that, you know, again, both of them been, no, they haven't been relevant. And baseball has to get away from, in my opinion, this seven-year plan. Yep. You know, it's, it's just, it doesn't work. It, 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 you, you use the Cubs as an example, but how many other teams can you talk about other than Houston and the Cubs? Houston's a totally different thing, by the way. They had to change leagues and rosters. It, it's not the same as the Cubs, you know, building this to get this championship. So it's tough that if you can convince your fan base that you can wait seven years, which I don't believe any fan base buys. Yeah. If you get to a point where you've got a chance for that, you know, proverbial window of three to five years based on a small market team, uh, I think you got to maximize it. Yeah, I agree with that a lot. This, this, I, I think the Orioles are currently in the midst. I think that window has just started to open. I think they're there. I think it's time to go all in for this team. And I, I don't know what will be out there at the deadline. I don't think anybody knows fully what will be out there, but I would really like to see them add and go for it. Do you, do you believe this Orioles team is good enough to finish the season? Let's say ahead of the Yankees or the Blue Jays, the, the Rays are going to be really hard to win the division against, but do you think the Orioles could finish this in, in second place in the AL East? I really do. I think the playoff spots are going to come out of the East. I think that they know that if you slot yourself in that position and you can chase down, I mean, let's just say this, let's just say there's two and a half weeks left. Then you're, then you're probably not going to chase the Rays and you're just going for positioning in the playoffs. But given the fact that there's so much time left and the Rays have been off to a historic start and you never know how the injuries are going to play. I don't think it's out of the question that they can't compete for a division title if you believe that the Rays can't sustain this kind of pace. And I think, again, the schedule is going to dictate a lot. Teams are going to, that are not very good right now, are going to be looking to sell off whatever pieces they have to continue to build for the future. It's the nature of the game. And I think you're going to see some surprise trades under with control, meaning the highest leverage trade you can make is meaning the team that gets this player is going to have two at least two more yeah. years to hold on to that player. That's where you get the value. The one year kind of just dump a player, nice ad, but not a difference maker. Those deals aren't going to make as big of a a splash. And so I think look for, look for a couple teams to kind of cherry pick teams that were supposed to win that didn't, and are now looking to go in a different direction. Similar to the Juan Soto trade where he was still under control for a couple of years for the Padres after that mid season trade, John, I know, we don't talk a ton about college baseball as in, I don't think you and I have ever talked about college baseball, but this is more of a, a baseball in general question over the weekend, a pitcher for Stanford, Quinn Matthews in a super regional game through 156 pitches. Now, just a, a bit of a backstory here. This guy was drafted before, wanted to go back to school to get his team to Omaha, didn't feel like he was valued enough in the draft. So his goal is to get back, get to Omaha, threw 156 pitches in a complete game, 16 strikeouts, and it became quite 
the conversation, as you can imagine, because of the high pitch count. What are your thoughts on throwing 156 pitches in a game? Every game and every pitch count is not relevant. It's not equal. There's no magic pitch count. I'll just take you to the big leagues. All these smart people, how have they stopped the injuries and we have this so-called pitch count of 100, 100 pitches? It's not working. They don't really care. That That's not an issue anymore. you got to take each in a vacuum and look, is a guy stressed? Is he max efforting? Is these things, you know, because if you just threw in a non-competitive and stress-free environment, every pitcher could throw 140 pitches. But not every pitcher can throw 140 max effort pitches. Some pitchers can't even throw 75 max effort pitches. The pitch count has become a ridiculous statement that we all buy into. It's because somebody decided that that was a narrative that was going to be a baseline for preventing injuries. It doesn't work. It never will work because not everybody's the same. I'll argue this with whoever wants to argue with me because you've got to look at it differently. You could throw 141 game and then the next game throw 90 or the next game throw. It's a mindset. It's a trainability, but it's not an injury preventer. And I guarantee you the narrative's going to be, uh-oh, this guy's going to get hurt. He could have got hurt at 55 pitches. I think the one thing that we've lost, pitch counts were all designed to show a pitcher how they could be economical with the amount of pitches to get more outs. That's the reality. It was told to a pitcher way back when, hey, get more outs, less pitches, you go deeper. Now that's not the narrative. It's give me everything you have as much as you can, and if you only go four, so be it. We got the next guy to take care of it. It is really, a. I won't go very strong to say a joke, but it's funny how we just stick something out there and then everybody kind of goes, oh no, he's at 105. Why is he still in the game? These things have been blown out of proportion for so long that you should ask every pitcher for the last 50 years why the pitch count, you get the same answer. It is absolutely not relevant. Now, 186 pitches in one game, maybe a little much. <laughs> Nolan Ryan, all these people. We just kind of think that, this, that, that the ones that did it before were freakish. No, it's, it's all relative. And so, yes, 156 in today's day is going to blow, you know, Twitter open in the baseball world to say, oh, what are they doing? Now, I didn't watch the game. I didn't see how many stress level game, uh, situation he had. But the narrative to just say 105 pitches – is the max anyone should throw is putting everybody in the same cooker cookie cutter box. And that's not, that's not the same. John, I completely agree with you. And that was, that was my take and stance on all this as well. And hearing you talk, let me ask you this question because it is a fact back, especially when you first came into the league, starting pitchers through many more pitches on average than starting pitchers do currently. Nolan Ryan, obviously up there, not exactly the same time frame, but early in your career, again, still starting pitchers were way up there. Would you say that there were more pitchers getting Tommy John surgery when you were playing at the beginning of your career or now with pitch counts? Oh, you can't go over 100. Not even close. It's now. I mean, kids are getting it at 13, 12, yep. 10. It, it, it is an epidemic that we don't pay attention to and no one talks about. All they've done is said, the guy's going to have Tommy John over the course of his career. Let's deal with it, move on, and go to the next one. And I don't think this is a good option when you when you have all these factory and great arms that you're just burning and churning. And I think I saw a stat somewhere in the neighborhood of 25% of every pitcher in the big leagues. Something crazy has had Tommy John. That's where we're going. 
And I think people forget that most of the guys that had it in my era was the longevity thing. I had it at 2,400 innings after 14 years. But I've, we've talked about this. More of my stress came in the postseason of 14 straight years. Yep. Throw a 200 innings in the postseason when you're at the end of your rope in the year. So, look, no one's paying attention. And I, I promise you this. They will pay attention when pitching runs out. And most people will say, hey, pitching's not going to run out because look at the factory of arms that they're creating. And it's only for short stints. So I'm passionate about this because I, t- I spoke about it at my Hall of Fame, and I don't want to see pitchers have short careers. I just don't. I don't care how much money they make. I don't want to see them have short careers. I want to see them pitch for 15, 18, 20 years. It's a great game. But at the rate we're going, there's no chance that the average pitcher's career is going to come close to what we got a chance to do. And I get it. The philosophy's different. The reward system's different. But I still doesn't take away the fact that I'd like to see him pitch longer. Do you have an Do you have an, an answer? I mean, it, I don't think is the answer just pitchers need to get back to throwing more. But like, what is the answer to pitchers' careers not being as long right now? Well, when you're training to throw as hard as you can and spin it as hard as you can, there's not a body mechanism. Yeah. You're talking about freaks that can can last that. It's just not possible for the body to do this. No one's listening to the great Dr. Andrews or any other doctor that's talking about the danger of, I call it red line pitching. You know, I've, I've shared this with you. You got a tachometer on your car as a red line. Your engine will not work if you stay in the red line and you continue to drive it like that. And I think baseball and, and organizations are okay with fact that they know a pitcher might go four or five innings with the freak that you can get, you get less than 5% of the pitchers in the game that are going to have 10 plus career years that aren't morphed into the Kershaw era Verlander and you know Max Scherzer we're talking now you know last 10 years last 10 years on up let's track some of the pitchers and see how long they last we already got DeGrom getting his second Tommy John we've already had a number of guys have Tommy John to me it's a controllable trainable act if baseball wants to put emphasis on having a pitcher pitch longer for them let's just say you draft him and you want him to start six years you can't ask them to max effort every pitch because of a computer uh, printout. These guys can pitch at 95 miles an hour. They don't have to be at 99 to 100. But that's what's driving it. So if you're going to get rewarded and drafted and play in the game, you must throw the ball hard. And you must get the velocity up pa- past 97. That's what's working. And that's what the temporary yeah. um, you know, philosophy that has lived in baseball. I, I, I know it's a Pandora's box. I've been on both sides, but I also know that pitchers could stay healthier, um, but nobody wants to talk about that anymore because of what I just said. I also – I think a good example here is is Justin, who, one, has had a very long career, obviously, but people all the time have said, why does your brother come out throwing 92 in the first inning? And then, well, what do you know, by the – by the seventh, eighth, yep. ninth, especially early in his career, when he needs that big out, runners on second and third in the eighth inning in a one-run ball game. All right, he'll bump it up to at the time 100, 101, 102. But you know, his he would pitch 92 to 94 until he had to until he had to adjust. That's exactly right. That's why I labeled him a 10-speed bike. He's got 10 gears now. Granted, not everyone has 10 gears, but I promise you this: he had to learn how to pitch. He had to learn how to pitch before he had to be max effort and throw 99. Now, when you combine the velocity we have in the game where they've not been taught to hit one spot or another, they've been taught to throw it through this huge box and throw it as hard as they can and just mix and match with stuff. 
when they lose velocity, they don't have the, the ability to go in another direction. They only know one way. And so if you trained a guy to be 94, 95, and, the, and by the way, you can do that. It's a mindset and it's a philosophy that would work. But now when a guy gives up runs in the first inning, that organization says, we want you coming out of the gate revving. Yeah. We want you revving the engines. We don't want you setting up a hitter for the third time. We want you to pitch till you can't pitch no more, and the next guy will do that. So that mantra has taken over, and that's why you're not going to see anybody have that kind of Justin Verlander. I've been saying from the mountaintops, if you want to watch a young pitcher, or if you're a young pitcher, you should watch Justin Verlander. You should model your career after him. You should want to be that guy that that takes the ball and does what he does. But you might be fighting your own club's philosophy, and yeah. you may not get that chance. So that's that's the rub. Yeah. John, last one for you before we go. That that series that I was just talking about in college, Texas versus Stanford, that series ended. The Super Regional ended. Stanford is going to the College World Series because the game ended on a walk-off fly ball that nobody saw. They lost it in the oh. sky. Ball drops with two outs and extra innings. Game over. That's how it ended. It was wild. But my question to you would be, when you look back on your career, what is the wildest or craziest ending to a game that you can remember? Well, that's a, that's a good question. I mean, that that's a heartbreaker there. That's yeah. because you know when the ball's hit that that's an out, and, and it's unfortunate they couldn't find it. I've seen games end on a balk. That's a tough way. The, the pitcher dropped the ball on the mound with a runner on third and two outs. Yeah, Doesn't get much worse than that for a pitcher. Um but, you know, anytime you lose in a non root you know, and lose in a routine play yeah. that just, you just, your heart breaks for the guy. But I'd say the balk, because if you think about it, nothing had, nothing, no play happened. He just dropped the ball and you can't drop the ball when you're on the mound, <laughs> uh, especially with a runner on third. John, always a pleasure, my friend. Thank you so much for joining me until next week, my friend. Man, what an awesome conversation. Just wanted to thank John again for joining me as always. That conversation about pitchers and how many pitches they should throw and Tommy John, he's extremely passionate about it. And it, it really does make so much sense. The more I heard him talk, the more I realized, well, pitchers back in when he was first starting to play threw way more pitches and not near as many Tommy Johns were happening. So uh, I was kind of along the belief of him with Quinn Matthews and why he threw so many pitches. And I think it's I think it was OK, but it got the world up in a in a storm. But uh, I, I agree with him there, and uh, it's it's an interesting conversation to have going forward about pitchers throwing max effort and how long they can continue in their career doing that. Uh, but, man, I enjoyed that Braves broadcast a lot with those legends and hearing him say he just randomly – he was nervous about the call and just happened to blurt out, yep, start the buses. Always a blast talking to Smoltz. Always a blast getting some good stories. I hope you all enjoyed this conversation Thank you all for listening. Make sure you subscribe anywhere you listen to your podcast, Apple, Spotify, wherever. We're also on all social media, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, and you can watch everything on YouTube as well at Flippin' Bats Pod. Thank you all for listening. Until next time, this has been another episode of Flippin' Bats. Peace.